This is I Hear Things for Friday, March 11th, 2022. The care and feeding of a podcast audience. One of our longtime clients and foes, and that's Friends of Edison, reached out to me this week and asked me a question based on some of the things that they were seeing in their data. Is it fair to say that 99% of podcast listening today is being driven by the same handful of podcasts? And in context, let's say a, a few hundred is a handful. Now, I thought about this for a while. I mean, I, I know the answer, at least as far as our data is concerned. But I still thought about this for a while, because once you know the answer to this, what are you going to do with it? Well, the answer, give or take a few percentage points, is yes. Now, a few of us in the space put out various rankers, right? PodTrack and Triton put out download rankers of their participating publishers. Uh, and we put out a reach estimate for the entire industry based on reported listens. Now, in all cases, we show a top 20 or maybe even a top 50 as we do with individual podcasts. But here's what none of us do. A top 1,000 or even a top 500. If we were to do that, you would see it. You would see the shelf. You would see the drop-off. The giant head of a long, skinny snake. Now, you can almost intuit this by looking at our recently released network ranker for 2021, and I will put a link to this in the show notes and in that. And I'm just going to talk about the top five here, which are SXM Media, Spotify, iHeartRadio, NPR, and The New York Times. Now, in the top two spots, we have SXM and Spotify, who share a similar combination of a wide range of shows that target a broad demographic swath of the population. And also, of course, some of the biggest individual shows in podcasting. And then there's the next tier, the next clump of networks, which includes iHeart, NPR, and the New York Times. The New York Times network is essentially just a handful of shows, but they are some of the absolute biggest in the business, of course, led by The Daily. Now, iHeart, on the other hand, has almost 100 times as many shows. In fact, we track over 900 owned and represented by iHeart. But they certainly don't have 100 times the listeners. There's Stuff You Should Know, of course, and The Breakfast Club and some other big shows. But then it's hundreds of much, much smaller shows taken from their radio stations all over the country. There just aren't that many huge shows in podcasting, just as there aren't that many huge movies or huge TV shows. And if you missed my article on hits, uh, I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. If I were to plot out a line graph of all 4,208,804 podcasts as of this recording, and I were to plot them out by downloads, it would look kind of like a chart of human life plotted on a graph of the entire span of Earth's history. There would be a long, straight line with a giant spike at the very, very end. Now, I don't know if the number is 99% or not, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Most podcast listening is indeed to a relative handful of shows. Now, this may seem depressing to you, but let me assure you, it's not you, it's them. The audience has only so many slots in their day and their life for audio consumption. The total time spent with audio sources each day in our share of ear research has reliably been around four hours a day since we first started the project in 2014. 
Now, if you're a podcast listener, you do listen to quite a bit more than that. It's true. But at some point, something has to go. And I think it's doubly hard to introduce a new short-run podcast series, something that's, you know, eight, nine, ten episodes, etc., when so many of those listening slots that we have are taken up by regular recurring podcasts every week that fit into the habit of an audience. Now, certainly the bigger networks benefit from symbiotic cross-promotion, right? If you like one show from NPR or Wondery, chances are you're going to like a similar show from the same network. But what's understated about cross-promotion is the power of the brand umbrella that sits over both Podcast A and Podcast B in the cross-promotion. It's why S-Town did so well. It wasn't just one podcast recommending another random podcast. It was a recommendation that fit under a strong brand umbrella that you already knew and trusted. And that's the importance of brand in podcasting. So what's the indie podcaster to do? What can those of us who don't produce Call Her Daddy do to build a brand and create a slot in the lives of a prospective audience and become a part of their weekly or maybe even daily habit? Well, I know I've talked a lot in this space about the importance of non-traditional channels like YouTube in this, especially for discovery, right? Uh, podcasting OGs who've been in the space a long time used to argue with me about that even as recently as a year ago. But now look who's speaking at Podcast Movement in a couple of weeks, YouTube's podcasting lead. So I'm going to take the W on that one. But that's not the key for a podcaster to build their brand. In fact, what I think the key is will warm the cockles of any veteran creator's heart in the space because I think it doubles down on what a podcast really is. I think the key to building a brand in podcasting today, it's not the show. It's not your show. It's your feed. Now, it's going to be really hard for your show to stand out in a universe where so much listening goes to so few shows. There are literally millions of podcasts out there essentially tied at 100 or fewer listeners. Now, if you could increase that to 1,000, you would immediately be in another tier of listening and things could start happening for you. Now, this is difficult for a new indie show, but back up for a second and consider what you could do to get your feed up to a thousand listeners. I bet you could do it in a week if you're diligent and you know your space. When you're competing against one of the large networks for earballs, you're not competing against a show. You're competing against a brand that stands for a thing. It reliably delivers that thing across multiple shows. And it delivers that thing daily in some fashion or another. It's why Up First is such a big show. It delivers what you know, like, and trust about the NPR news brand reliably, consistently, and frequently. This podcast that you're listening to, on the other hand, might reliably sound like me, but it sure as heck isn't frequent or even consistent. Yes, I'm admitting that I will never beat NPR. But a feed... A feed could be all of these things. A feed could deliver like-minded content of consistent quality, reliably, consistently, and frequently. I could not name all of the individual NBA-related shows on the Ringer podcast network. I don't even know if the Ringer could. It seems like the names change. But it doesn't matter. I subscribe to the Ringer NBA feed, and I reliably get on-brand, hoops-related entertainment every day. It's there 
when I push the button every day. Now, I may not listen every day, but I know it's there when I want it. Now, I suppose you could just say that I'm advocating for either joining or creating a podcast network, but you don't have to be that ambitious. There are thousands of marketing podcasts, for example, I used to do one, of uh, varying quality, and not so many big ones. But aggregate them into a network, as my friend Jason Falls has done with his marketing podcast network, and all of a sudden you've got a little reach. And here's the thing about reach. Reach begets reach. You get a little reach, it's easier to get more. Have you checked your feed for Serial lately, if you are a subscriber to, to Serial? The show Serial has been dormant for quite a while, but Serial, the feed, has been pretty active and pretty on brand. Now, building a network can be just as daunting as it sounds, and that's not necessarily what I'm advocating here. Instead, think about what other podcasts in your niche, or as the French would say, niche, share a similar approach or ethos, and just build a feed. Build a feed that stands for something and delivers on-topic content reliably and frequently. This is the path to building habits. And yes, I plan on taking my own medicine here with this very podcast. It's tough building an audience when you're putting out one show every one or two weeks, as I do here. But in a single feed that delivers the best thinking in podcasting every day, maybe this show on a Friday, somebody else's on a Monday, and so on, that's a thing that you can build a brand around. To put it another way, how are the leading podcast networks dominating the space right now? It's consolidation. But consolidation isn't only an option for the haves in the space. If you can't beat them, you can join someone. So start there. Now think about it. It's going to be increasingly difficult to compete in the podcasting space over the next few years. The growth in the total hours spent listening to podcasts, it's going to slow. That's just nature. If someone makes time in their lunch hour every day, for 15 minutes of content that's relevant to their job or their life, being the feed that provides that every day, that's the surest path to building a habit. And then, a relationship. And people don't fire their friends. Thanks for listening. And I want to give a special shout-out to Marcus DePaula from MeOnlyLouder.com, who, with solicited advice, gave me some tips on improving the sound quality of this podcast, which I greedily adopted. So if you're interested in improving the sound of your own podcast, check out Marcus's site at meonlylouder.com. Uh, and thank you, Marcus. I appreciate you. And I appreciate all of you for listening. This is Tom Webster for I Hear Things. We'll see you next week. 